My friends, good to be with you. Pull up a chair, pour a pint. We're going to talk about drinking tonight in the right way. Alcohol has been part of the human experience for a very, very long time. We actually have an enzyme, ADH4, that helps us to digest what uh, essentially is a poison <laughs> and developed that probably millions of years ago. See, when fruit fell to the ground, started to ferment, human beings were drawn to this, this, this beautiful smell and, and also the buzz it gave them that probably helped them cope with the stress of prehistoric life, which is not unlike the stress of trying to get your kids out the door to school every morning. Uh, <laughs> and human civilization formed in a lot of ways around that, that fermentation process. There are some sociologists who argue that, that, that agricultural culture emerged not just because we needed food, but because we wanted to, to put the processes in place that would put a drink in our hands. And human beings have been fermenting alcohol and making their own alcohol uh, 7,000 years before Christ we started doing that, which means 3,500 years before we had written words, we, we were making alcohol, which maybe is why we were relaxed so much and took us thousands of years to bother writing anything down. Um, and, and so this is, a, this is a part of the human experience. And often when we talk about it, we talk about the dangers of alcohol, and they're very real. They can destroy your life. Um, but there's also a lot of blessings to this part of the human experience, God obviously thinks so. The saints thought so. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. The Last Supper, he, he takes the, the matter of wine for transubstantiation to himself. So here to talk to us about how to enjoy alcohol in the right way, the Catholic way, while we enjoy a, a pint ourselves, Jared Stout. Woohoo! I'm so excited to be with you, brother. It's great to be here. Yeah, and I love, I mean, nomen est omen, omen, right? Jared Stout, your name is Destiny. <laughs> I, I, and it's here a nice you pun. are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? and, and what a perfect thing. You pointed this out before we started the, 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 the cameras rolling. The beer option, his book, where, where can they get this, by the way? It's on Amazon, or you can get it from Angelico Press directly. Perfect. Goes perfectly with the theme Living Joy. So, uh, <laughs> what is, tell me, what is the, what is the Bible? What, is, what are the saints? What is Catholic history? say about alcohol, specifically about beer? Well, you might think if you open up the Bible. And feel free well, to pause to drink while yeah. we're talking. Well, where is beer in the Bible? Is it even there? Well, you know, when you, when you think of certain passages, even like related to John the Baptist, we're focused on him here in Advent. It says that he gave up wine and strong drink. But strong drink is not liquor. We didn't have that until the 1400s. Mm. It was actually something called shikar in Hebrew. Okay. And shikar was a barley-based drink. It wasn't made the way that we make beer today. You would actually take a barley loaf and let it soak, maybe with some fruit or honey. Mm. But that was actually offered by the Israelites in the daily sacrifice. So they literally were offering beer to God. That's incredible. I had no idea. Literally yeah. the first time I heard that. <laughs> We've been so. wrong with that in the bad translations. <laughs> strong drink should be beer when you see that in the Bible. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so what, what does, uh, tell me more about what does the Bible say? Does, there are great quotes from the Bible or Psalms about beer, about wine, uh, some good saint quotes about beer and how it's something to be celebrated, not just kept in, in place. Well, as you said, you know, alcohol certainly can be misused. And the first yeah, time yeah. we see alcohol is actually in Noah's drunkenness. 
Okay. So it was a sign of the renewal of the earth, the making of wine. But later on in the Psalms, we see that wine has been given to gladden the heart of man. And so we really have to keep both of those things together, that yes, it can be misused. But on the other hand, this is something that should bring joy to our life. And as we saw with that offering of shikar, should be ordered towards the glory of God. Uh, wine gladdens the heart of man. I, honestly, this is one of the things in my own personal life with, with alcohol. I love alcohol. I love the taste. I love a slight buzz. Uh, that's not wrong, is it? No. See? Um, <laughs> I, I really, I, the, my love of it is actually part of what uh, keeps my drinking in line. You know, I, I want to enjoy this good, this blessing uh, that the Bible says is a blessing. I, I want to enjoy it without ruining it. I mean, one of the mm -hmm. evils of alcoholism is that it ruins the ability to enjoy a legitimate good. Uh, and Catholics have enjoyed this good throughout, throughout the history of the church. Mm -hmm. uh, monks have perfected this good throughout the history of the church. Tell us a little about the history of, of the Catholic Church and the monasteries and, and their overlapping with, well, is this made in a monastery? It is, yeah, okay. the, in the got, Abbey of Scormont in Belgium. That's incredible. So this is free advertisement for the, for the monks of the Abbey of Scormont in Belgium. Chimay mm -hmm. from the Trappist, but that's a good life. <laughs> These guys are like, like they're monks hanging out praying all day and, and, uh, and, and making beer. Sorry, before, before you get to the monk thing, uh, 720-650-0100 if you want to text your questions in. So 720-650-0100. Tell us about how we've perfected this. Well, that's actually where the title, the beer option, comes from. It's from the Benedict option. Mm. And so, you know, Rod Dreher kind of said that in our current culture, we should look to the Benedictines as a model for a building culture centered on God, centered on prayer. But it was actually the Benedictines who perfected brewing. Mm. So, you know, unlike in the Bible where they were dropping those barley loaves and, and vats and just letting it ferment, uh, the brewing process as we know it was developed in monasteries. Why? Wow. You know, they weren't just brewing beer for the heck of it. I'm going to stop on that for one yeah. second. The brewing process that we've come to know and love. We have, we have a lot of people who love beer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to the Trappists, to the Benedictines, to the monks throughout history, to the so many literal saints who perfected this. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, because after the, the fall of the Roman Empire in the West, culture was centered on the monasteries. Mm. And they were places of prayer, but also of learning, the first hospitals. But they were actually providing a lot of sustenance for the surrounding population. The sick would come there. Uh, actually, people who were traveling, that's where we even get the word hostile, was from the word for stranger, that the monasteries had hostels and they had hospitals from hospitality. Wow. So they were brewing beer to provide that sustenance. And it was safer than drinking water because they were boiling it in that process. And so, and then you had the alcohol there as well to preserve it and to kill germs. So they were giving it to the sick. They were giving it to the poor. And of course they were drinking it for themselves as well. Yeah. And they realized that if you drank beer, you were healthier, gave you more nutrition than if you just drank water. Well, healthier than water. That's right. <laughs> I, 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 really, like I, I worked for a priest who was from Mallorca, Spain. And uh, you know, growing up as a little kid there, and this was an old, older guy, so he'd grown up in the you know, 30s in Mallorca, Spain. Like, there's no fresh water in Mallorca. So they would, they would have these big things of, of, uh, of wine. And he's like, uh, he grew up drinking wine instead of water. Which, I, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that experience of growing up. Were, were they sober? Like, is, is they, they're, they're had to, like, were, were these little kids, they're all so well-behaved. 
Well, there was uh, something called small beer. Okay. So if you were north of the grape line, right? So south of the grape line, they would be making wine. But if you couldn't grow the, the grapes, you would be making beer. Okay. And they would have small beer. And it was like 1% or 2% alcohol. So okay. women and children would be drinking that. And even the monks, you know, they had three different lines. It would be X or XX for the next level, and then XXX for the strongest. Okay. And so, you know, <laughs> the Easter. X level would be like for kids or for the sick, and then okay. the double X would be like for the guests of, of the monastery, and you can only imagine what the strongest one was for. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. for them, right? You know, they serve <laughs> the best uh, for their own meals. But, but it was integrated into just their normal diet. You know, people didn't drink because, uh -huh. you know, they wanted to get drunk or it was like this extreme event. It was just a normal part of their diet, and it was part of their nutrition. And it was also part of the celebration, right? And so I think when we look at drinking in the Middle Ages and as part of the monastery, it was part of festivity. Mm. They were drinking to give God glory. Um, and even, you know, the toast, in German it became prost, but in Latin it was prosit. And it was just a toast for health, prosit. right? So they, they were drinking to give God glory and just for their own health and well-being. Wow. Uh, we, we, need to, we need to reintroduce the 1% alcohol thing. So they, they knew how to, how, to, how to ramp up and cool down the alcohol level, and they controlled that. That's a mm -hmm. key thing. Uh, that's, that's key with our relationship with any, anything with pleasure attached to it, right? That's right. In virtue of temperance. That's right. Yeah, it enables you to enjoy those, those, those pleasures without them taking over your whole life. We've got a good question here. I once heard that there were monks that only drank beer and received the Eucharist during Lent. Do you know if that's true? So, uh, so only that, beer, like no food, just a beer yeah. fast. So that legend is from the Friar's Minim. And if, okay. if you look at the beer Polliner, uh, Polliner is named after St. Francis Paola, who was okay. the founder of the Friar's Minim. And they did the Lenten fast all year long. And there was a papal representative, a cardinal that came to him and said, I don't think that, that your fasting regimen is human. Your rule is not human. And mm. he said, I know it isn't. And he reached into the fire and grabbed an ember. It isn't human. Wow. And he said, okay, your rule's approved. Uh, but that legend actually comes from those friars who were fasting the Lenten fast all year long. That means no food during the day and just one meal in the evening. Wow. And so they were actually brewing a stronger beer, the, kind of the double Bach up in Bavaria, to tide them over during their fasting because it would give them some nutrition. And so the legend is that they actually wouldn't eat anything, but the truth is that they would have that small meal at the end of the day okay. and some beer to help them. Now, the legend also says that the Pope heard about that. He said, so what, double Bach is a little stronger. Yeah, exactly. They had almost no food. Uh, <laughs> you're starting to demystify how peaceful these monasteries were. <laughs> you know, just, uh, these were it wasn't the, all grace. These were the most severe so of the monks, right? They were really fasting. <laughs> but anyway, it kind of tied them over. But the Pope heard about that. Yeah. And he said, what are these monks doing? So legend is that they sent them some beer over the Alps. It was sitting there in the sun and getting shaken up. And by the time it got to Rome and he tasted it, and he said, if they want to drink that in their fasting, let them go ahead. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we can say there's a spirituality of, a spirituality of work, a spirituality of insert whatever human activity here, right? Because everything in some sense is drawn up into the spiritual when we're Catholics. That's, mm -hmm. that's what it's about. Like, that's right. I, uh, we, we, we make these false divisions between regular life and spiritual life. It's like, a, like I heard the analogy of a fish swimming through the ocean asking the other fish, where's the ocean? It's like, you're in it, you know? Uh, how would you sum up a, you know, a spirituality of beer? Mm -hmm. you, you've obviously thought a whole lot about this. So I say that we should drink in feasting, fasting, and friendship. 
Uh, and really, you know, beer is a stand-in for anything. How do we use earthly things well? Mm. Like we can abuse even the best gifts that God has given us. For instance, our sexuality, mm. right? Mm. Um, and so I think feasting, fasting, and friendship, that we're drinking for the right reason. Yeah. Right? We're not drinking as an escape, you know, to try to get away from our problems. We're drinking to give God glory. And so we think of like the Christmas uh, season, for instance. Mm. It's when you would toast everyone's health yeah. and be part of our celebration. But in fasting, so we're at a time of Advent, and that was a penitential season in the past. It was like so it's supposed to be like Lent. We're getting ready for the big celebration. Mm. And so we have to, to keep things in check. And I think the church gives us these times of fasting mm. um, so that we don't become too attached. Do to you things. drink during Advent? Um, I give up drinking often during Advent. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I was going to today, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah. um, and so, yeah, I think it's important that we do at certain times say, you know, I'm not drinking now, mm. whether it's Lent or Advent. I think those are great times for that. Yeah. And then in friendship, right? So we're not kind of going off in our corner, kind of drinking right. too much, once again, as an escape. But it's something that we do in friendship that brings us closer to other people mm. rather than pulling us away from mm. people. That, that is a, a key thing. That if you if you're, find yourself drinking alone, mm -hmm. that could be the first sign of a problem, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, wow. And, 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 and now here's, here's a, a, good, a key question. I, I find that there's, there are times where I, I want to pull back on drinking or, or fast from drinking, but I'm a very social guy. Um, I think one of the things that could lead to drinking problems is that almost every gathering you come to, there's alcohol involved. Mm -hmm. you, you come together to have a drink. There's, there's blessings in that. It, it, there are blessings to it, it, it you know, being a depressant, that it can lubricate a conversation and relax you in a legitimate way. You, know? mm -hmm. you go too far, obviously the conversation is not intelligible. So that deprives you of the blessing you're going for, right? Um, when, you, when you feel like, I, I, I want to pull back on drinking, it's a Friday or it's Lent and I'm, I'm getting together with friends and everybody's got alcohol, are you able to just say, no, I'm not, I'm not uh, what, do you, what do you substitute for that beer on those nights? Does it become socially awkward for you or do you just go along with it? Well, you know, people will tease me. They're like, hey, the author of the beer option, you're yeah, not drinking yeah. tonight? And I say, no. And it, it actually, for me, it does become a moment of saying, hey, mm -hmm. we need to sacrifice that. Mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously I don't want to ruin the sacrifice that I'm making by, you know, talking about it too much. But I, I yeah. think it is a good witness for people to see that. But, you know, I'll tend to gravitate towards something else, you know, just having a sparkling water or whatever. And I would say if, if, yeah. if I'm not drinking for the right reason, then I don't feel bad about it. Yeah. You know, I know, okay, if it's time of Advent or, or during Lent, I'm able to just give that up. And I, I'm not, you know, like I've experienced that tension. Yeah, yeah, right. Do you, do you drink? Do, do you often have a, a nightcap or a, a night beer? What, what's the, some people? You know, what, what's the frequency that you that you think is normal for a, for a drink? I know a lot of people well, who have I, a, who have a, who have something every every single day. Right. It, it depends on the amount. But some people wonder how far is too far with drinking. Just like with teenagers asking sexual questions, how far is too far? Would, well, you know, you I, I am predominantly German. You know, the Germans, we joke, you know, have beer for breakfast. You know, <laughs> and, I, and I've seen that might culture be a problem. Uh, being over there. And so there are times... Do they literally have beer for breakfast? They do sometimes. Yes, that's, it is true. <laughs> as a breakfast substitute. Well, you know, as, as, as a supplement. You know, okay. whatever. I mean, they're having their cereal and they you know, have a little beer. Or, or that, cereal so, you know. with yeah, beer yeah, exactly, instead of yeah. milk. But, you know, I'm also part Irish. And I, I've noticed even with some of my Irish family that, you know, we don't tend to tolerate alcohol as well. So I see yeah. that kind of both sides of it. And when I yeah. have times where I've had a drink every day, yeah. I've actually experienced that 
it makes it harder for me to actually have good time with my family. Mm. And I like to write in the evenings. I have a harder time writing. So I do tend to save it at this point for for more of the special occasions. Yeah. Um, So I I know I've been on both sides of that, but I'd say at this point in my life, it's probably more rare. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I, I I think that's a key thing you just pointed out. It's examining what it's doing to your spirit, right. to your mental focus and clarity. And as, mu- as much as I love a drink at the end of the day, and there's been times where like every, every day I'll have a, have a nightcap, not, not a real big one, not yeah. two, you know, there's, then I could feel like things would become a problem. Um, but w- while enjoying the legitimate blessing, I, I think of the blessing of my, my consciousness, not to sound new agey, of my of my my the sharpness of my focus, my ability mm-hmm. to call up words like you know like right. with the sharpness I had when I was a teenage kid, and if yeah if I'm having a, a daily nightcap after a couple of days it's like it's the dial's going down a little, mm-hmm. and then it becomes easy to say nah because I, I I'm not thinking about what I'm giving up I'm thinking what I want is my energy level that's right and that's even better than having a nightcap, uh, but yeah it, for me the the you know. It's it's a constant it's a constant interior gauging, right? I think it's true. You have to have that examination, and not yeah. just with with beer, wine, but with other things as well. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Now there are some people who love it so much that they can't ever really enjoy it. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a dear friend who's struggling right now. He's like, ever since he was a teenage kid, first time he drank, he's like, he passed out, and he just loved to drink and felt like mm-hmm. it wasn't enough unless he passed out every time. Um, wow. Right? That's not the common experience of everybody. And I think that's where when Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Right. And if if you are feeling like alcohol is leading you in that direction, pluck it out. Yeah. I think that is part of the spirituality of drinking is Mm -hmm. that you have to know when it is doing more harm than good. Yeah. So I think there is a way to approach it in the right context with, you know, community um, and making sure that you're keeping it in check with fasting. But on the other hand, hey, if it's leading you in the wrong direction pull back. Right. And then, then I'd say to that person like, yeah, of course you love it. You love your sight. But if your eye offends you, pluck it out. That's right. You know, uh, great question here. <laughs> uh, this is a question of pure objectivity. What is the best beer, Jared? Specific a question for you. They didn't ask me. Well, I, I did rank my 30 uh, favorite beers in the book. And so one that is always ranked very high. Which again, the book is on Amazon. Yes, that's right. The, I'm holding this up again because this is cool. The beer option, all right? He's got his 30 top beers ranked, and the man knows what he's talking about. He recommended we bring this in today. It's one of the best beers I've ever had, by the way. Which yeah. number is this on the list? This is number three. So It's high up, man. Yeah. It's so good. So brewing in Catholic culture yesterday and today, that's a subtitle, and that's what this is really about, right, is that mm-hmm. it's building up a Catholic culture through evangelization, through community, these kinds of things. And one of the ways that I've seen that is tasting some of these monastic beers, and a lot of the 30 on the list are monastic. Mm. That's why they have a Catholic connection, the ones that I chose. So it wasn't just 30 great beers, but 30 Catholic beers. Mm. So Vesvlederen, um, that's a Trappist uh, beer from Vesvlederen. Belgium. They only sell it on site, but some people will resell it even though they don't want that. So you have to go over to Belgium to get it. What a it. tortuous thing <laughs> to find out. And this is number one, I'm sure. Number one. Number two is Orval. That's just, me- that's just mean of you to do that. Yeah. Because now I'll, I'll live with longing for something that I'm probably <laughs> never going to have. Okay, so you got to go well, there. You, yeah, you need to go there for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you ever uh, brought any home? 
Yes. Are you giving it to have. Catholic evangelist yeah. friends? <laughs> it's, all, just, it's all gone now. Just asking for somebody. Maybe in a future trip. I've led a pilgrimage to Belgium. We yeah. went to some of these okay. monasteries. Uh, I'm, I'm so, signed up for your next one. That's awesome. So Orval's number two, and, and they use some of the local wild yeast from Belgium in wow. the brewing. And then number three is the Chimay Blue, which started out as a Christmas beer, mm. uh, but now they, they brew it year-round. It's at nine percent, so it's it's very substantial. That's nine percent. Yeah, that's like a wine. That's like wine. And so they actually use a kind of brewing candy in it to boost the alcohol. So they're adding additional sugar that get, then gets converted into alcohol. Wow. Um, and so it has a very rich uh, flavor. Yeah, and I'm glad you told me that. I was, I was about to be like, yeah, it's four percent. I could just so drink that easily. It's sweet and it's malty, and and you get a kind of sense of even some stone fruit in it. You know, some plum flavor. What is stone fruit? Uh, fruit that has, uh, you know, the pits. And oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Mm. I got the so plum. You, I definitely yeah. got the plum. Oh, yeah. You can see how it was a Christmas beer, right? And oh, so they, yeah. They don't put, some Christmas beers will actually put other flavorings in. They don't, other than the sugar that they use to right. uh, enhance the fermentation. But Wow. And you, know, you know what else I love about fine beers? You're not just chugging it back. You know, um, <laughs> one of the worst dreams I ever had, Jared. And most boring dreams. I was at a bar in this dream, okay? And there was a, 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 lot, of, a lot of kegs in front of me, taps, and it was all Michelob Ultra. <laughs> all of it. And, so it was and a nightmare. It, it was a nightmare. <laughs> and I never, I never, I still to this day have not had that. Though I know Archbishop Shapu likes it. So I, that's, I think that's why I came to my dream. And I, and I said, I guess I'll have a Michelob Ultra. And I, I started drinking it and I thought, that's the worst beer I've ever had. And then I woke up. Dreams aren't quite as exciting <laughs> after you're 40 as they were when you're a young man. But hey, that was... But this is not just about the buzz. It's just, it tastes great. It's an aesthetic experience. And what yeah. I mean by that is you really get a sense just of, of the great uh, taste and the beauty of yeah. it, right? It's an aesthetic experience. I had a guy who went on the pilgrimage to, to Belgium and he said, listen, I'm a Coors Light guy and you're not going to convert me. And he had never had any, any beer like this. You know, we right. actually went to this monastery. Yeah. And by the end of the trip, he said, okay, I take it back. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a convert. And, and he actually went out. And he was an apostle then because yeah. he went out and he started having tastings yeah. with his friends with some of these great monastic beers that we had tried over in Belgium. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so the, a, a beer can be a blessing when it's, again, decreases the stress level, helps you instantly go from fifth gear to first gear, be with friends, lubricate a conversation. Uh, what, what those things can connect you more with reality. I think that's when it's a mm -hmm. blessing. It's, it's, mm -hmm. It helps you connect a little more with reality. Uh, can enhance the flavor of a steak, right? Let's talk a little about marijuana, which has, has a, a decisively different effect than helping you connect with reality, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, well, obviously, too much beer disconnects you from reality right. and, and your consciousness and your faculties of reason, which is a problem. Uh, What's the difference between, between alcohol and pot? And we hear this, this argument a lot, especially in Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, if, if, if beer's okay. I've been in okay, many arguments about it. <laughs> yeah, if beer's okay, why not therefore marijuana? Right. So I would say that beer is okay when it is consumed properly. Mm. And in that right context, I'd say the Catholic context of giving glory to God, promoting friendship, some of the things that you just mentioned. But I have a whole chapter on the book on the problem of drunkenness. That mm. beer can become an escape. It can severely damage your health and your relationships. And I would say the same thing about getting high. Mm. And so the church says that when we are getting drunk or when we're getting high, it's actually a mortal sin um, because we're damaging our reason. 
That's where our dignity is based, that we're made in the image and likeness of God as free, rational beings. And when we impair that, mm. you know, that is a sin because we're, we're damaging who we are and our ability to make free, rational decisions. So, you know, there are medicinal qualities uh, to the cannabis plant, yeah. right? And so yeah. if you can use it medicinally in a way that you're not using it as an escape, right? You're not getting high in a way that is damaging your reason and becoming something that is really taking away from your health and relationships and all the things we've been talking about, right? There are proper medical uses. Um, I would say it's a fine line, of course, that some people say, well, I'm using it medically, mm -hmm. but really they just want to get high, right, right? Right, And then that becomes a problem. Yeah. So I would say that the difference is that beer can be used in a moderate way and if you're using marijuana or other drugs to get high, then that is not moderate. Mm. And it becomes a sin when it's an escape. And a sin of grave matter, which if done with full knowledge, full freedom, is mortal sin, right? That's right. And um, I, I, because, specifically, I love you, you mentioned human reason, right? Some people think about sins and big sins versus little sins, that that's all flowing from arbitrary rules from God and from the church. And, and no, it actually comes from, it, it, this is the greatest human good, our ability to reason. It's a big deal because that's a great blessing and you're trashing it. Yeah. God wants us yeah. to be happy. Yeah. And so the commandments are pointing us on the right road to happiness and to communion with him and other people. And so sin damages not only that communion with God and others, but it damages our own dignity. Yes. So drunkenness and getting high are, are not ways of truly being happy. So well, what would you say to someone who says, but what if you just get a little high? Just wouldn't that be like getting buzzed or is there something inherently different about getting high versus getting buzzed? So it's very hard for me to be able to differentiate, yeah. right? You know, if you're getting high, that means that your reason is impaired. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, St. Thomas, you're talking about a buzz. He said it was OK to drink to hilarity, but once again, not to the point of losing yeah. our reason. Yes. Right. And it. so it's OK to, to get happy, yeah. uh, to feel good. Um, and so um, what is that line when it comes to marijuana? Yeah. I don't know. Is, is it possible to, to take such a small puff that maybe you would not lose your reason? Maybe. I, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I've, I've had people argue that with me. But who does that? R would right. be the question. Who, who right? does you know? it? That would be very yeah, rare. Yeah. But there's also the, uh, there's a difference between this is a depressant and that's a psychotropic. Mm -hmm. And the inherent nature of a psychotropic, right? It's, it's, it's removing it from reality. You know? So right. I think this is one of the things that's, that's most harmful about, about pot. I know some friends who really struggled with marijuana use for many years was that it is such a manageable psychotropic. It's not like heroin where it's like, you know, hey, there's a serious problem here. You can, you can be getting stoned and have people not notice. Uh, and, and you could kid yourself into thinking everything is normal. But you're, you're a little, you have this euphoria that just kicks you out of reality just enough. And, and there's no way to have your reason impaired, uh, reason up intact when you're a little bit out of reality. You know, and that's, uh, that's something this doesn't do to you. Well, and, and I have a chapter in the book, Beer Versus Marijuana, actually. Yeah, yeah. So I give some of the data on that. And I, I would just put forward a big caveat mm. that if you're under the age of 26 
and your brain has not fully formed, mm. then um, pot can permanently damage your brain. Mm. And I give some of that research, and I think even since I've written the book, just in the last few years, there's even more research that's come out. Yeah. So I would just say, if you're below the age of 26, do not use it at all. I don't recommend anyone to use it, by the way, but, yeah. but really avoid it. And oh, yeah. that um, it's true, you know, once your brain is fully developed, it might have more short-term effects that could wear off but it's long-term and permanent effects if your brain is not fully developed. Mm. We, we could have a whole other show on that one. We probably should have you come back and talk in detail about that. It's a huge topic today. Got two minutes left. Do you microbrew? I have, yeah, I'm not currently. Have you been a failure at it or has it been pretty good? I think it turned out pretty well. <laughs> okay. and, and that's also, I think, a, a great community building event. Yeah. And it's a way of building culture in the home, right? That yeah. you can actually make something. Mm. And I think that's really important. And what a cool something to make. That's right. Yeah, and any, any wrap-up thoughts uh, for, for our audience about the spirituality of beer, how to use this blessing to, you know, become saint, insert your name here, rather than have it ruin you, or how to, how to incorporate this in the holiday season into, into your life? I would say right that way. right now, in the context of the new evangelization, mm. that we can use beer to evangelize, to draw people into conversation, uh, when you think of like theology on tap mm. or an Oktoberfest at a parish, or I've actually been to microbrewing, kind of homebrewing events at a parish, yeah. that that is something that we can invite people to. And they might come to that where they wouldn't just show up at mass or, yeah. or to a, another talk. So let's use beer to get into good conversation with people. Let's use it as a tool for evangelization. Praise God. Like every blessing in life, you know, when you, when you order it, properly, when it's in relation with God, when you're examining your conscience, uh, it can continue to be a great blessing. And not only for yourself at the end of a hard day of work and for your nutrition, but for evangelization. How cool is that? Dude, thank you so much for sharing all this with us and for, for who you are and for just, just showing how all these things are taken up into Christ and made better by Him. Not something you have to have, oh, I drink a beer over here and I go to do the church thing over here. All this is brought up into God. So again, the beer option, Get on Amazon. God bless you, man. Thanks again. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Cheers. Pro set. Pro set. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.